the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Myself and Dave starting the firm. When there was too much work for Dave, we hired a second person. When there was too much work for the second person, we hired a third person. That's always a difficult decision because there's always the idea, hey, should I just work the people I have or work myself harder to not bring out an additional person? If the deal flow is there, then it's awesome to be able to do that. What we, you know, we've seen that there's also a really difficult moment where you're doing fine, there's some additional work, you're not sure whether it's an entirely an additional person, and there's like you're jumping off the cliff there, knowing that you're sort of committing to potentially a salary without being 100% certain that you have that revenue there. Run your law firm the right way. The right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's going on, Jimmy? Oh, Tyson, I'm very excited about our guest today, only our second lawyer that we've had on the show, and we've got a lot to learn from Brother Seth. It's our very own Seth Price out of Washington, D.C. Seth, how are you? Doing great. Thank you for having me. We're really excited to have you on the show. Seth presented at the mastermind group that I went to with John Fisher in Chicago last month, and he had a lot of great advice for attorneys, especially on search engine optimization, SEO. And so we're really glad and honored to have Seth on the show. Yeah. And Seth, do you want to just give us a little background into what you do, how you got there, things like that? Sure. You know, I run a 30 lawyer shop in the DC metro area. It's consumer facing practice. So PI, criminal, trust and estates. We've added on things like immigration and family law. And we've built the firm over the last 12 years, really through digital marketing and SEO specifically. We started with myself and a buddy. I went to college and law school, UPenn and GW. And the two of us were sitting around trying to figure out what we're going to do. He wanted to practice law, and I was trying to figure out how not to practice law. And we sort of melded these two passions together of two lawyers and said, hey, let's let's try to figure out if you can take care of legal excellence and get yourself and eventually other great practitioners to try cases and on the other hand, I could sit down and figure out how to make the phone ring, how to make sure the people that do find us are taken care of quickly, effectively, getting them signed up, and then 
making sure that the operation runs well. If we can meld those two passions together, we'll have something. And so we sat up, two of us in his basement with one website and, you know, started running around town, signing people up at McDonald's or anywhere else we could uh, find them after they called in finding us on the web. And, you know, 30 websites later, we now have a practice that has really become a regional firm. And we've taken many of the things we started with, which were sort of done, for example, by me answering a cell phone whenever it rang and now have an eight-person intake team that is responsible for making sure that whether it's a call, a chat, a text, the moment somebody calls, that we're able to convert that person into a client. And the way that we've sort of been able to scale has been through the success of digital marketing. And what we've been very fortunate to do is sit down and take the time to learn what are the elements that move the needle in the Google algorithm and over time built an in-house team. And that started with myself and an assistant. And slowly over time, we ended up building about a seven, eight person team and realized that there was sort of a flaw in our business model, which was that if we were to keep this as an in-house resource, that people would sort of find opportunities beyond the means of the firm to pay them to stay. We trained them and then they would move on. So what we started doing a couple of years ago was forming a separate entity, Blue Spark Digital, and that organization now represents and does digital marketing for law firms, generally not in our competitive market in the DC metro, but outside of that, we've been able to scale that team up to a 15-person team and be able to compensate them in a way that allows us to keep talent retained and really provide consistent high quality service to both the firm itself as well as our clients around the country. I think that's incredible. I think it's really interesting how you're able to market to multiple practice areas and do it in a really effective way. Can you kind of talk about how you're able to do that? Because I know I always recommend, I think Jim does too, you you target to one or two practice areas. How are you able to do it to multiple practice areas and be successful at it? I think you're right. And that's, that's exactly how we started. We started as a criminal boutique and we were just criminal. And if somebody called and we were competing with somebody else, we just do criminal. And that was awesome. And then we said, hey, we see a bunch of people doing well with a plaintiff's practice. And we looked at personal injury and medical malpractice. So we built a separate website for that. Again, there's we can talk about this later in the conversation. There are pros and cons of multiple website approach, but we found that we wanted to be able to allow people who came to our site to see exactly what we did and to have a site dedicated to that area. That said, that's not for everybody and What we did is sort of we did one thing really well, then we started a second thing. And the way that I have scaled it is that we have brought in excellent legal talent that are not marketers, and then we put the power of our marketing machine behind them. And as I'm sure you're aware, that as you move from personal injury through criminal to other areas of practice, the barriers to entry as far as marketing go way down. There are less people fighting for trust in a state's work online than there are for medical malpractice. And so that we've been very fortunate that in some of these attenuated areas that we've been able to build additional verticals with legal expertise that is standalone. These people are not first years wet behind the ears, but rather 
these are seasoned lawyers who are great practitioners, but we're able to provide the marketing behind them to be able to allow them to have a practice that they couldn't have without us. Seth, that's really an amazing story. I'm so freaking impressed. These are the kinds of things that Tyson and I talk about that should be goals for all the people that listen to the show. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, and this goes on a call we recently had, tell us how you knew when it was time to expand into new areas and when it was time to hire new attorneys. That's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is, you know, how to gauge when the time is right to expand or to move into a new area. Yeah, I wish I had a magic wand and and could tell you. I think what we found and the direction that our story took was because we had cash flow from criminal, we were able to use that to leverage into a contingency practice. For instance, myself and Dave starting the firm, when there was too much work for Dave, we hired a second person. When there was too much work for the second person, we hired a third person. That's always a difficult decision because there's always the idea, hey, should I just work the people I have or work myself harder to not bring out an additional person? If the deal flow is there, then it's it's awesome to be able to do that. What we you know we've seen that there's also a really difficult moment where you're doing fine, there's some additional work, you're not sure whether it's an entirely an additional person, and there's like you're jumping off the cliff there knowing that you're sort of committing to potentially a salary without being 100% certain that you have that revenue there. I don't know what that exact number is. A lot of that has been done sort of feel, which is not a best business practice necessarily. But if we see the trend that there's enough volume, one of the areas that I think has allowed us, for instance, since we do DC, Maryland, Virginia, one of the things that I've seen is that when you, as a lawyer gets busier, they can and should raise their rates because supply and demand, as well as just their expertise. As you're a more advanced lawyer, you can attract a higher fee for what you're doing, whether it be a flat fee or an hourly fee, that what happens is that as lawyers get busy, they either raise their rates and or poo-poo the smaller work. And so the ideal is to have you know, if you're in a single geo, having somebody who is the a thought leader that you've built to handle the premium cases, but knowing that not everybody can afford that that person, and frankly, at some point, the capacity won't be there for that person to then have somebody who can handle people at a lower price point. And that's been one way that we've seen that somebody, we, we watch very carefully, and it's something that we've turned to more and more closely what is the close rate per case? And one of the things we do in looking at that is we look at the cases that come in and we grade them high, medium, low, and a need. They're definitely going to hire somebody as a question, is it us? There is medium where there's funds, but your question is, will they pay for your services or are they going to look for a cheaper alternative? And then there is the lowest end, which is funds may be a real issue. And you're lucky if this person ends up signing with you. And what we have done is watched very closely, we've seen this over and over again, that as an experienced lawyer gets a full caseload, assuming that you're compensating them based on performance, that what you're gonna see is those people are gonna start 
turning away, whether consciously or subconsciously, or the market's just going to dictate that they're not going to really address those lower tier cases. And that's a really good time to expand because there's less risk bringing in the more junior person to handle those smaller cases rather than trying to bring in somebody senior who's going to do both senior and junior cases. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And so while we have you on the phone, I want to pick your brain on something that we've been struggling with here because I I think you're going to have some good advice, not just for me, but for the listeners. And that is lately I've been thinking, Seth, that when we get calls into the office, we have someone who answers the phone for us at the front desk, and then we have a backup phone service that takes down name, phone number, and legal issue. And then they forward that on to us. We try to call them back, and then if we don't connect with them on the very first time, or maybe we try a second time, they sort of just go into a bin. Now, obviously, we've spent a lot of money and energy to try to get the people to call the firm in the first place, and I think we're missing out on some cases that we could be getting if we had a better follow-up with, I think, what you were calling a sales team. Can you talk a little bit about how you handle those kinds of things? Sure. We made a commitment early on that we would not allow our receptionists to be part of this intake process. If you're a referral-based practice, there's nothing wrong with a receptionist taking a message and somebody getting back to them. When you are dealing with digital search and people are finding you who have never heard of you before they did that search, I believe it's imperative to have a rapid response because that person is not going to wait a couple days for an answer. I'll tell you a story that my dad, who is uh, Yale class of 59 law, who recently joined us as a senior counsel, he's with a, a firm in New York, independent of our firm as well. And I, there was a New York criminal case. And I wanted to send it to him as a courtesy and see if somebody just make a buck from it. So about 4.30 on a Friday, I emailed them the contacts and said, this person has given permission for you to call. Please have the criminal partner at your firm call them and see if they, they need help. And about Monday at 11 a.m., I got a call from my dad saying we called them and they, you know, they already had counsel. And I'm like, of course they did. Like that, he's never dealt with that world. He's a purely referral-based practice. And the idea that somebody is not going to wait for your call back doesn't exist in his world. But in the marketing world, um, where people are in desperate need, whether it being they're about to be deported, they're arrested, um, or frankly, they've been injured. Anything where there's an immediacy and they want to speak to somebody, if you're not available for them, they're going down that list. So I highly recommend that the sooner you can have a dedicated person trained to answer the call in that position, the better. This means it's not, in my opinion, a lifer who is a great secretary or receptionist, but somebody who is as fire in their belly. We see generally like somebody who's worked in retail or customer service where they get, how do you connect with somebody quickly? This is a very tough job to sort of screen for to sort of figure out who you need for it. But assuming that the budget is there or whether it's a part of a paralegal's duties, getting somebody who is not part of the answering the phone to give the fax number out or deal with medical records or deal with billing questions, but somebody whose sole job is to immediately respond to people who have a need. I think that that is one of the uh, things that has really helped us in our success in that we've treated the incoming calls very differently 
than the traditional law firm practice does. Seth, since you have multiple calls from multiple practice areas coming in, are you filtering those to different people or are they going all to the same person? How are you able to filter those calls and screen multiple calls from multiple practice areas? Well, because we have the tracking numbers for the different practice areas, we know what's coming in. So we may have somebody who handles personal injury primarily, and that person, if they're too busy, everybody is cross-trained to help them, but there's a primary point of contact and those calls go to them. That's something we dealt with years later. Let's start with, assume you have one or maybe two practices. To me, it's still a question of how do you take it away from a message taker and get it to somebody who can immediately start the process. They may not be a lawyer, they may not be able to give legal advice, but they can talk somebody off the ledge, they can get them to the point of explaining what's gonna happen, who's gonna call them back, You know, understanding for you where the case is and which attorney out of your group, assuming there's more than one attorney, is best for them to deal with. And you know that, that to me is, is the key as far as how you can get somebody other than your administrative staff to handle this. And again, it may be when somebody starts, it's the same person, but making sure that person has that skill set and is not, you know, the the person who's just sounds like they're out to lunch and may or may not take a message. You know, we're adamant that we're following up. If a call is missed during daytime hours, well, not only does it, as you mentioned before, roll over to an answering service, but we're watching caller ID and we're looking to make sure nothing is missed. And something that I remember from my very first step. So you talked about, let's say you're not going to be perfect when you first start and you're going to miss calls and nights and weekends may not be covered. It's going to an answering service that you find an answering service that is responsive so that, you know, you don't have the first one we used. We you could call on a Saturday morning and wait two and a half minutes on hold. You're done. So finding somebody who's going to answer within a reasonable period of time and get you a message, in my opinion, with caller ID, so that the world has changed. That most answering services. I know I'm getting granular here, but something that I think is important to ask the answering services you speak to: Do they have a digital switch? Meaning. When the phone rings at their center, bring, bring, God forbid they take too long to, to pick up, are they able to capture that so that you haven't lost that lead? And look, work in concert with whether it's your in-house person or whether it's somebody else who's answering the call on overflow, making sure that you're not losing any opportunity. Because if you miss a call and you have the caller ID, you can get back immediately. If you're dealing with somebody with antiquated technology, oh, there's a hang up and you don't know who it is. And that's what I'm trying to prevent. I mean, I think you're giving us gold. I think this is fantastic. So I think the listeners need to be taking a lot of notes. I actually want to ask you some questions about why we originally thought about having you on here. I want to talk a little bit about the SEO side of things. Uh, We've been talking about the actual intake side of it for the most part of this, but can you give some of the listeners some of the the most recent tips on SEO, things that, that work now that didn't work before, things that don't work now that didn't work before? Give us just a few tips that the listeners can take away and, and, and use in their practices. Sure. And, and to be clear, SEO is anything but easy. It's a hell of a lot of, of effort and a hell of a lot of risk. But I would say there are four main points. And if anybody listening, if anyone tells you otherwise, uh, look at them a little ensconced. But essentially, the things that move the needle, number one and two, which Google has told us, is content and links. You have great quality content and high quality authoritative links. 
that is going to move the needle in the Google algorithm, and that is going to do you well. Google has publicly stated this, and it's something, you know, every once in a while you hear, oh, links are dead. No, they're not dead. It is still, those are the two major factors in moving the needle. There are two other factors for most law firms that need to be looked at very seriously to make to round out the four total. One is what I call technical which is a well-optimized website. Most lawyers are probably should be on something like WordPress that's easy to use, it's easy for the Google bot to crawl through, and is something that allows both the user and the Google bot to understand exactly what is on your site, where it is, and if you structure it properly, give additional authority to the pages you place on your website. And the final piece of that, of these four, is local. And making sure that the appearance in the three-pack, ironically soon to be two-pack if Google uh, goes ahead and puts an ad at the top of those three, making it just two organically, that the local is made up of a combination of the organic that we talk about, the content links, how well is Google viewing your site generally, and this second algorithm for local that includes the listings in Google My Business, which is where you put your listing for that, and the authority of your citations. Citations are the name, address, and phone number. So even though the Better Business Bureau doesn't link to you, the fact that your firm name, address, and phone number are listed there, the fact that those three things together are listed, gives authority that that is actually a respected listing and so that when Google is deciding what to put in the three-pack they're looking at some combination of traditional organic power and this local gravitas based on citations and your Google My Business listing. Seth, I think a lot of our listeners are going to understand what you're talking about when you talk about backlinks and three-packs. Can you explain that for the people that don't? Sure. If you get a link from your friend's daughter's blog, that would be a very low quality link, presumably, and it is something that will not carry much weight. Historically, Google gave more credit to volume than it did to quality. That over the last years has completely flipped on its head to the point where quality matters a tremendous amount. That quantity of bad links really is not gonna help you and for people that have historically done things like getting links from bad neighborhoods or easy areas that might be pay to play, those generally will hurt you. And if you do it really badly, can penalize you and really throw you out of the game. So for most high-end SEOs, and I would like to put myself in that category, our goal is to be as white hat and clean as possible and get as many high quality links as you can. That's not to say that spam still can't work. It works until it doesn't work, and at that point, you'll be penalized. So we've taken the attitude that we're in it for the long haul. We'd like to be able to continue to perform. So for whether it's for us and more importantly for our clients, we, would, we make sure that we're looking at high-quality links coming in from different places and that those have a good mix there's links that have follow on it, which means link juice passes, and there are no follow links. For example, Wikipedia. Now, Wikipedia, even though it's no follow, is still a valuable link, in my opinion, is one that should be sought after, but we, you want it to be natural. If Google sees an unnatural pattern, they are gonna penalize you, 
And so our job is to make sure that you're getting authoritative links. For example, many of the people who are listening to this have been on their local news or national news for that matter. Our job as a digital agency is to go back and look and make sure that we get links from those articles back to the website so we can say to Google, hey, this guy was a commentator in this authoritative publication. In theory, Google can read those words of your name and know that it's you, and that may benefit you in many ways, but there's nothing better than a direct backlink from those places. So that was the first question. Your second question was? About the two-pack and the three-pack. Right. So when you look and do a search for something local, Google generally wants to give you um, answers to the question that are relevant. A number of years ago, if you typed in injury lawyer, there were very powerful lawyers in California that would come up nationally for that term. Google has now realized that you are not looking for somebody nationally, but likely somebody locally. The laws are different. The restrictions are different. So that Google tries to give you the best possible local result. That's true and organic. But a number of years ago, they started. They created something that was a seven-pack. You saw seven things with little red pins. They're now down to a three-pack. That three-pack is Google has announced, and we've already seen in test markets, it's about to become a two-pack. So when you see the map there, those are incredibly valuable pieces of real estate. You have four paid responses at the top, Google AdWords. I'm still amazed at how many people don't know the difference, but we have seen that for savvy users, if you're in a revenue producing as opposed to a contingency practice where people have to come out of pocket for it, that the ads have been less effective, in my opinion, in many of those areas for higher dollar cases because the more sophisticated end users are going to organic. The map is this combination of the organic and this local presence. And because of how they graphically show it directly below the ads and above the organic, that organic very often doesn't start until position eight maybe even further down if there's a map. So you have four ads, a map, and then three local responses. Um, that local pack, that three pack, has been an incredibly valuable place for lawyers who are playing the local search game. What is disheartening is that Google has announced, and as I said, we've seen it in test markets, they're putting a paid response at the top of that three pack. So the first response is paid, and that the next two responses are organic. And it's just extremely frustrating. You're now dealing with five paid spots on Google before you get to something that is not directly pay to play. Not that people aren't paying for organic SEO, but they're not paying 80 to $100 a click or more. Hopefully, if they're doing their job right, getting traffic much more reasonably. So that is to give you a, a more complex uh, answer to your question. What everybody's fighting for is that middle real estate. It's getting tighter, but those three positions are incredibly valuable. Damn Google trying to make money off their search engine. <laughs> Seth? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a reason that they're worth gazillions of dollars and everything they're doing, you know, the, in theory is for best user experience. But as a, a business owner, it's very hard to, to see that. We got, you know, we used to have three up top. We have four. We have this fifth position. It's really very competitive. And AdWords, which is a whole other conversation, there are many people that do very well off of it, but it's very competitive, very expensive, and that you, if you don't watch what you're doing, you can lose. And it's getting more expensive. You may start off saying, oh, I can afford this. It's only $40 a click. Well, next month, if more people join that auction, 
or there's a young upstart with a trust fund who's throwing money irrationally at it, you can end up with 80, 90, $100 a click. I'm hearing crazy numbers out of San Diego for DUI lawyers. It's getting prohibitive. And so that you're sitting there saying, okay, well, if that's going to be prohibitive, I need to win this game. And all of a sudden, they just squeezed an additional slot out of that game. Uh, so it is something that's constantly a moving target, and we're constantly evaluating how best to get uh, return both for ourselves and for Blue Sparks clients. Tyson's our local trust fund baby driving up all the Google AdWords. Oh, uh, that's BS. Seth, how about the issue regarding the 30 websites? What was the mindset behind that? We got to wrap up pretty soon, but I did want to cover that because you sure. raised it. No, absolutely. So I've taken the approach when we started that we looked at each lawyer as their own practice. And we've been very happy with the idea that people have a practice to themselves beyond the firm and that we're able to market that lawyer as their own practice. That has been something we have done. That is not for everybody. You know, if you have limited resources, and I loved it, I was doing it myself. If you have limited resources, you know, a single website is what Google is pushing you to right now. Single websites where all the authority of your firm is there is certainly a best practice that if you're able to have areas of practice that are congruous, that shouldn't be much of an obstacle. If, for example, you're doing both personal injury work plaintiffs and defense, that's a pretty hard thing to sell. And that, you know, if somebody comes there and says you're working for insurance companies, that could turn them off and they're not going to want to work with you. So if you're doing PI and criminal or you're adding in immigration, I don't see the negative being that strong in today's market. So somebody starting today, and frankly, even for us, our move is to consolidate websites. We used to have separate websites for criminal and DUI. They are now one website. We have more and more looked at this as an opportunity to get more gravitas for the website and be able to push that down to each of the subfolders that handle a different practice area. What you're giving up when you do that is, and it's a trade-off. I don't have an answer for you. It has to be looked at case by case. But let's say you're doing immigration. And right now your home page is your state immigration page. The home page is something you only get one of. And so if you put that as, let's say, Alabama immigration, that's going to give you the best fighting chance for that. The moment that you have multiple practice areas, if you don't want everybody coming for criminal defense to say, oh, this is an immigration firm and turn away, you really need to look at whether or not you're going to push criminal and immigration one off your homepage to a second to, to the first page of your folder and that it is then you have to optimize both the homepage and those top of folder pages. It's doable. It's just you're giving up this advantage you have with whatever's on your homepage getting an edge for it. That said, if you look at our DC injury site, uh, Price Benowitz, we, we don't have any of our substance on our homepage because we're using it as a flagship for the firm that does multiple areas and that our substance is one, for instance, DC injury page is one off the homepage. It just takes a lot of effort and time to do that. So when I clicked off your main page onto immigration, it took me to thevisafirm.com. Right. So in this case, 
we decided to make that an entirely different experience and it's that's a no follow link we're not trying to play a link game there we are essentially saying hey if you have immigration needs this is entirely different dedicated resource you know if you come through the firm you'll get to it but people searching are getting an immigration experience and not something blended with all these different areas fantastic this has been our best call yet by far don't you think tyson absolutely a lot of great takeaways not only just the SEO, but also intake, handling cases, growing your firm. It's been great, Seth. We really appreciate it. No, this has been, it's been a lot of fun. And that's partly, you know, I find that people do what they like. I enjoy the SEO, which is why it was fun to be able to work with lawyers around the country. People often say to me, hey, should I blog? Should I tweet? I'm like, you should do whatever you like. Because if you don't like it, you're not going to do it. And that, you know, you might as well find somebody else to do it, which is a whole other discussion because I don't think that outsourcing social is particularly effective. But if you can find what you're passionate about and then leverage that, I think it goes a long way. You would ask me at the beginning of the call, is there any sort of tools or fun things that uh, have, have been uh, useful? And I, I was going to throw out there 99designs as a way of getting started, whether it's for website design, but more importantly for business cards and letterhead. It's a really fun, cool activity to do with your yourself, your staff, and even friends and family. You can suggest what you're looking for as far as design. I want a blue design with white font, and I like, I like this type of a look and feel. And then people around the world essentially are trying to get the money you put in escrow. Let's say it's $300. You, they get to attempt to build the business card that you love. And you might say, hey, I like these two, but I really like it with a with larger font. And then all the other people see what you're making as far as requests, and they try to then curtail their or change their designs to match what you're looking for. And at the end, you, your money goes to them and you you get the final work product. And it's a, a great experience. You're able to, before you finally make a choice, send out your top three um, suggestions out by email or Facebook so people can get involved and help you as part of that process. I found it a, a really positive experience for staff and for friends and family to be part of the early building of the firm. I agree with you, Seth. I've used 99designs before and I think that they're fantastic. And it's it, I agree with you. The user experience is amazing and you really do get what you want out of it because you do, you're able to make those suggestions and it evolves over time and you can see how other people or they are very receptive to the changes because they see and they start to change their logo designs to to match what you're wanting. So I think it's a great suggestion. That's great. Well, look, if anybody has any questions, I, I can be reached at uh, Blue Spark Digital, B-L-U. There's no E, Spark Digital, or Google me at Price Benowitz, and I'm happy to. I love this stuff. So if anybody's sort of facing a, an issue or quandary, uh, don't, don't be a stranger. Love, love the chat. That's great. Tyson, you got your tip? I do. It actually relates to what we're talking about today quite a bit. It's the new book by Robert Cialdini called Presuasion. Um, I've talked about Robert Cialdini before. He, he has the book Influence, which is is probably the most influential marketing book you can read. It is a great book, but everyone's been waiting for years for Robert Cialdini to come up with another book. This one's Presuasion. And the best way I can put it is getting someone to make their decision before you ever ask them the question. So basically one example is that he gives in the book is going to a website and I think they were selling mattresses and just simply putting clouds on the background of the website increased conversion substantially. 
So you can do small things like that to increase your conversion on your website. You can do things, people answering the phone. There's a lot of things you can do that by the time they actually get to you and you ask them to purchase or give you money, they have already made that decision because of the other things you've done. It is an awesome book. I'm actually about three quarters of the way through it. I've not completely finished it, but I've read enough of the book to know what it's all about. And it's a really good book and I highly recommend it. I'm about halfway through it. It's it's really good. Uh, my hack of the week is Facebook groups. So we started a firm Facebook group and I'm really enjoying the interaction that we're having with the clients. We started it about a month ago and we have about 130 um, clients past and present who are on the Facebook group and people are starting to post their own stories. Some people posted some of their pictures, naturalized citizens when they got to go vote. So it's really been a nice way because when people sign up to be a member of your group, they get that red circle when the group is updated in a way that you don't really get off a bland Facebook page for your firm. It's a good one. Very right, good one. We'll wrap it up. Seth, thanks so much for joining us. Yes, thank you, Seth. Hey, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. All right, Jim. I'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.